0: And we're going to continue this morning and really wrap up. We'll see if I wrap up, but the plan is for me to wrap up uh, the game over series. And so really what this series is all about is saying that, uh, you know, to Satan is that the Bible says, and I shared about this in week one, uh, that the Bible really gives us a very clear picture that he is a defeated enemy. Now he is still an enemy and his ultimate defeat is yet to come. Christ will do that when he returns, but we are. But Christ has already, there's nothing left for him to do for us. And so we do, but we have to do what? We have to enforce what Christ has made available for us in our life. And so, in other words, we're not just going to let the enemy come in and do anything that he wants and just be like, well, I guess that's just life. There are times, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that everything bad that happens is always the devil. Because sometimes we make bad decisions, right? But there are times in our life where it's not a result of anything that we've done necessarily, even anything that somebody else has done. It's just a straight attack of the enemy. And yet the Bible gives us very clear instruction concerning this so that we can look at the enemy and say, hey, your time is up, game over. Why? Because I have a Savior who has done everything possible for me and for you to what? To live a life of, of, of victory. You know, but yet many times we live... With, and, and really, I believe that we learn to cope or to just deal with and almost just kind of be, kind of become comfortable with areas of defeat in our life that Jesus has paid the price for us to be free in. And yet we tolerate it. We allow it to persist. And, and, and sometimes that's because we don't know what the Word of God says concerning that. Maybe we don't know how to, to stand against it. Maybe, you know, there's, there's different things. But at the same time, here's what you have to know is that Jesus paid the price thoroughly and completely for every one of us. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? I mean like mental torment. I mean like, you know, all of these things that the enemy would try to come, even attacks in your finances. You're like, you mean the enemy can attack my finances? Now let me just uh, give you an example. You know that check engine light on your dash that goes on and stays on? Once it's been on for a few months and, you know, something goes out in your car, you can't be like, oh, the devil broke my car. Right? No, there was a little light on your dash saying, hey, something's wrong. But there are times where, I mean, like I'll give you an example in my own life. Max was about Mira's age. So he was about eight, nine months old. And there was about a three-week period where it just seemed like all hell broke loose in our life. I mean, you know, I mean, he had had a a pretty major fall and got flown. There was all kinds of personal things going on. And I, I, I caught myself making this statement. Which is this, is that, I mean, and every, I'm t- telling you, every single day for about three weeks, something was hitting. And most of the time, it was multiple things in a day. It was with the church, it was with us personally, it was in our family. And I just kept making the statement. I would, I would come home, open the door, walk in, and look at Darren. I'd be like, man, the hits just keep on coming, don't they? The hits just keep on coming. And I kept saying it, and I kept saying it, and I kept saying it. And finally, I listened to the Holy Spirit, and I was like, what am I saying? Because I'm confessing, the hits just keep on coming. And guess what? They kept on coming. Why? Because I just thought it was just circumstance. I didn't realize what it actually was, was an attack of the enemy. I mean, and and, and we're not talking about just minor stuff. I mean, major stuff. You know, and, and just one thing after another, after another, and I finally just got fed up. And I came to the moment where I just said, okay... This is, this is not just natural. This is not coincidence. There is something else happening, and it's going to stop in the name of Jesus. See, it's not enough for me to say it's going to stop in my name. No, I have a higher power upon. You have a higher power of which to call upon. And in a sense, you could, it was almost like I said, devil, game out, Game over. This is it, like I, I'm calling you out and I'm not going to tolerate this wave that's coming right now. It's just wave after wave, just keep, keep hitting and keep hitting and keep hitting. And it's amazing, when I took the stand, it stopped. Now, it's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I have some great understanding of spiritual warfare. It stopped because I have an understanding of Scripture and what the Bible says belongs to me as a child of God. And if it belongs to me as a child of God, it belongs to you as a child of God. And sometimes you will have to get to a point where you just say, devil, it's enough. And if you don't, he will continue to meddle. He will continue to work in your life and yet we have the ability to say, it's up. Uh, I'm done with this. But yet we have to understand, even from Scripture, how do we do this? Because it's very important. And so we've been looking, you know, even Pastor John made the statement last week about in life we really have a choice. We can either be victors or we can be victims. And many times, I'll just be honest with you, I've been a pastor a long time. I'm older than I look, I promise. I promise. Me and Kyle were talking the other day, and he was like, you know, he made the statement. He said, I have to remind myself, you've been doing this for a long time because I look much younger than I actually am. Praise the Lord. And uh, I didn't like it when I was younger, but it's a good thing now. And, uh, you know, but one of the things that I have seen is that many times is that people will tolerate the enemy because if they actually took a stand against him, they would have nothing to complain about. In other words they like their dysfunction therefore they don't deal with him. But then they get to a point and they're like, "Well, I want it to stop. I want it to stop. I want it to... and not really because they like their issues. You can either like freedom or you can like your issues, but you can't have them both. Now let me just say we all got issues. So I'm not singling anybody out. We all got stuff that we got to deal with. But we do have a Savior who is what? Who The Bible says He right now is seated at the right hand of God. There's a verse in Isaiah I love that it says that God holds us in His victorious, righteous right hand right now. I like that. His victorious hand. If you want to know where God has you right now, in the palm of His hand. And it's not just in this random place. It says that it's a place of victory. And it also says it's a place of righteousness. Like, well, what does righteousness mean? It means God's not mad at you. It means the, the price that needed to be paid has been paid in Christ. And God is, no, in other words, He has settled His frustration, His anger against us because of our sin. It was all placed on Christ so that now we can be called righteous. Which simply means we can run to God even when we mess up. Especially when we mess up. I, you know, if I have an understanding of, of my own shortcomings, of my own sins, what do I do? When I mess up, I run from God. But if I understand righteousness according to Scripture, when I mess up, I run to God. Because it's never about me to begin with anyways. And, and so it's a whole different approach of life when I understand who I've now been created to be according to the Word of God. And it will change the way that you live. It will change the way that you think. It will change the way that you behave, simply because of understanding who you are. Now, I want to share a statement with you, and and this really ties back into what I shared in week one. And and when I grabbed a hold of this, and it finally, like I really got it, it changed me. And it's a very simple statement: is that I'm not a son by worth; I'm a son by birth. Now, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. All things have become new. It's this salvation that I've come alive. It's called the new birth. I'm not a son by anything that I do or anything that I would perceive as value. I'm a son by birth. I mean, I would. I can never imagine going to my parents... My natural parents and saying, "I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. My parents would tell me to shut up. They're just kind of blunt like that. Like, you're my boy. That's what my dad would say. I'm nearly 40 and I'm still his boy. That's what he says all the time. You're still my son. You're my son. You're my son. And yet so many times we have this idea, this thought from the enemy that says that we have to do everything right to be accepted by God. That's the exact opposite of the reality. Well, when I get better, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, you know, when I get my life straightened out, I'm going to come to God. You'll never get your life straightened out without Him. You never will. So we come to God, why? Because we need His help. Here's another phrase, another quote, if you will, that it, it, it's powerful, is that our activity does not define our identity. Our activity does not define our identity. Well, but I I screw up, but that doesn't mean that you are a screw up. Well, I'm a, you know, I, I failed. That doesn't mean you're a failure. And yet so many times we'll take on these labels that the enemy brings to us. To convince us that we can never do the things that God has for us. Or somehow that we're exempt from what what the Bible says. And somehow we're this weird case that God says, well, I'll do that for everybody else except for you. No, our activity does not define our identity. And I see many people struggle with this. Their identity is wrapped up in something that is not God. And therefore, they really get off track. Why? Because their whole identity is focused. Like, I'll give you an example naturally of this. It would be like somebody who has been an athlete all of their life, growing up, so forth, so on. Well, then they get out of high school, they quit playing sports, and it's like they don't know who they are. They're like a recovering jock. But they're not, they're like, but this is who I, you know, like, this is who I am. But it's like, but what do you... And there's an adjustment that has to come. Why? Because you're no longer that athlete. Take a musician, somebody who's playing music. They lose their ability and they're lost. Why? Because their identity was their music. I mean, and I speak from experience. There was about eight months where I just didn't preach at all. Well, the problem was my identity was behind this podium. Well, I had to deal with some things in my heart. Why? Because my activity defined my identity. And it was something that the Lord needed to work in me. Well, I guess work out of me, really, so that I could move forward. And so there's some things here that we have to understand if we're going to live a game-over kind of life. And they're not rocket science per se, but it is, you have to have an understanding, like a real heart understanding, that this is true for you. And so, you know, let me just establish this real quick. Over in First uh, John, well, hold on, let me get where I need to be. First John chapter 4, verse 17 It says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect so that we will not be afraid on this day of judgment. It says, so we can face him with confidence. And here's the part, this last part. It says, because we live like Jesus here in the earth. Another translation says it this way. As Jesus is right now, so are we. Now, some of you, you're like, I don't, I'm not Jesus. I'm not like him. Well... I didn't say it. The Word of God did. If you've accepted Jesus as Savior, the Bible says you are like Him right now. Like, well, I sure don't feel like Him. That's the key word, feel. There's lots of days I don't feel the right way. But yet I have to make a decision that I'm going to go to what I know to be true, not what I feel because my, my feelings will lie to me. They will. They'll cause you to think and do all kinds of crazy things. So, if we're just like Jesus, and that's what the Bible says, that we are to be just like Him in the world today, well, why did Jesus come? Now, many there's lots of answers to that. Well, He came for salvation. He came for this. He came for that. Over in First. John chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, the second part of the verse. It says, the Son of God, being Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. If you want to know why Jesus came, that's it. That's the most that's the, the most specific definition I can find in Scripture. Jesus came for one reason, to thump the devil on the head. And that was actually, God said that in Genesis, by the way, in the very beginning. He said, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. It's the very reason that Christ came, and yet we are to be like Christ. And yet we many times don't feel that way. And so we ease this throughout Scripture, and we're like, man, that would be amazing. That would be so awesome if I could just be like Jesus. You can be. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect like He was. But it does mean that you can live a life that is victorious. I mean, that's what the Bible tells us over and over and over again. But we have to have an understanding of who we are, according to Scripture, according to what God says about us. See, I believe many times what happens is that Satan knows his limitations. He already knows it. He's banking on the fact that we don't know it. That's the only way he gets an advantage over us. He knows where he is. He knows his fate. He's just hoping we don't know. And sometimes we need to remind him. You know, it's like this. There's a song even on the radio, but I've seen t-shirts. And, not today, Satan. I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's like, not today. I'm not falling for that trick. I'm not going to step into that mess. I, I, I see that trap that you're trying to get me into. So that if I step on it, it detonates like a, like a bomb and goes off and just tears apart these relationships. Like, not today. Satan, not, not, not in this moment. You're not going to rob from me. You know, there's a verse in John chapter 14, verse 12, and for years it bothered me because I'm just like, I just don't know how how that's even possible. And Jesus makes the statement, he says, the works that I do, you'll do an even greater. And I'm like, how is that even possible? This is just my personal opinion on that. It's not in the quality of what Jesus did, but it is in the quantity. Because Jesus was one person reserved to one body, one physical location. And yet his body, which just in this room are quite a number of people, we can have a greater impact than just one single person can. And so, you know, and so with this, I believe that when we understand who we are in Christ, it makes us bold. It does. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says that the righteous are as bold as lions. In other words, we don't back down. When the enemy comes, I'm not begging him to leave me alone. If you beg him to leave you alone, he he probably won't. You have to begin to say some things from the place of faith and authority that he will listen to. Now, I believe that, and and I'll show you this here in a few moments from Scripture, because I don't want you taking my opinion on it. I believe that we have been given authority from Christ to be like him. And it's how we're going to live this life of victory, and this is what it requires, but... I also know that authority alone is not enough. Authority alone is not enough. You need some power to back it up. You're like, well, what do you mean? Now, if you're here and this applies to you, or maybe you're watching a lot, I mean no disrespect in this, but you ever been to the mall? You already know where I'm going, don't you? There is a officer there who has a badge, but he has no gun. Okay? No gun. He has authority to say, stop. But you're not going to motivate me to stop, because what are you going to do? You're going to run me down? I think I'm quicker than you. Right? He has authority within the mall, but yet he has no power, really. You know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? And many times what happens for us as believers... We don't realize we have authority, and we definitely don't realize that we actually have the power to back it up. So, we have to come to an understanding that God has what? Given us authority and given us power. And and so, it's important that we understand this because authority without power is like having a badge without a gun. And yet, many Christians run around, leave me alone, devil, leave me alone. Like I command you in the name of Jesus Pastor David and Pastor John, talk about just leave me alone. Just please, I beg you. As opposed to standing up as a redeemed child of God and saying, I've had enough. In the name of Jesus, you will stop. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. And not only understanding that you have authority, but also realizing that the very power of heaven is there to back you up. I mean... The Holy Spirit, who is God, lives on the inside of you right now. That when you would begin to declare God's word over your life and over circumstances, it's like Jesus himself speaking it. Like, I don't know about all this. I can only tell you that I've seen it work in my own life. I've seen it work in many other people's lives. Pastor John shared the story of... Miss Becky, and Pastor Sam's wife, was in a really bad wreck. And she just began to call out to the name of Jesus. Now, he didn't go into all the details. Lainey was dead on the scene. She's alive and whole and well today. Now, I mean, Miss Becky had broke her back. I mean, it was, there was all kinds of things going on. And yet, she began to call out on the name of Jesus. Why? Because that's where our help comes from. It's an unbelievable thing. Let me read you a passage of Scripture of some guys that really could have used what I'm sharing with you this morning, and yet they were just some church folks, but just had not a whole lot of sense about them. But in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11, this is a story of seven brothers who were the son of a preacher. He was a priest, and it says that Paul gave... Or God gave Paul the uh, the ability to perform unusual miracles. It says uh, in verse twelve, when handkerchiefs or aprons were uh, merely touched his skin and were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. It says a group of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord, of, or the name of the Lord Jesus, in their incantation, saying, "I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches about, to come out." Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit responded and says, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? I've heard Pastor Sam make this statement. I I love it because I think it communicates. He's like, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who in hell are you? In other words, does hell know your name? Because hell knows the name of Jesus. Hell knew the name of, of Paul. And he was like, we don't know you. You're just an imposter, right? And then it says, when the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, and he overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled the house and were naked and battered. How embarrassing. I mean, how embarrassing. Seven guys got jumped by one. What happened? What happened? They were trying to do something, and then in the name of Jesus that Paul preached about, the problem was they didn't know Jesus. That's the difference. And yet these were church people. Their dad was a preacher. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's go try that. That doesn't have to be us. It shouldn't be us. The devil should never have the upper hand in our life. And if he gets it, we should take it right back from him. Because it's our right as children of God. Now let me read you a couple scriptures here about this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, it says this. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, which if, if you're a child of God this morning, that includes you. He says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. All. All the power of the enemy. Says so, so that you can work on or walk on uh, among snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. Now that's not talking about physical snakes and scorpions. It's actually talking about demonic presence and power. And yet here he says, I've given you authority over all of them. I mean, would you let just some random stranger walk into your kitchen, start fixing themselves a meal and just go sit in the couch and be like, Hey, you want to make me an egg while you're at it? No, I'm going to remove them from my home with force if necessary. Why? Because it's my house. It's not their house. It's not their food. It's not their kitchen. So what is it? I'm exerting the authority of what? What belongs to me. You're trespassing. See, we wouldn't think anything about that. Somebody steals your car. You're not going to be like, well, praise the Lord. Be blessed. Like, police officer, they stole my car. Go get it. Right? It belongs to me. And yet we'll defend natural things at the drop of a hat. And yet when it comes to spiritual realities that are true for us right now, we are so flippant to let them go. And yet it's actually more ours than the house that we live in, the bed bed that we sleep in, the car that we drive. Those things are all temporary. And yet... We've been given authority to deal with the enemy. Now, that word authority from the Greek is exousia, which means this. And I'm going to read a couple of the definitions, but it's divine permission. I like this one. Supreme judicial authority. You're like a judge. You know, when a judge makes a declaration and pounds his gavel, It that's it. What he said is what it is. And the Bible says we have that. I like this one, too. It's we're an authorized dealer of God's power. We've been authorized. We, we've been given authority to use God's power. So we, we have a badge in a sense. When you got saved, guess what? You got a badge. Which what? I'm now a child of God. I have the right to use the name of Jesus. Now, it's not just for any whim that I have, but it is anything that lines up that I can see in Scripture that, hey, that name affirms what Scripture promised me. And I need to use the name of Jesus. You're like, well, I don't know what you mean. Like when you pray, it's, you know, Jesus, like in the name of Jesus, it's not just the sign off of your prayer. You do realize that. That when you pray and you say in the name of Jesus, what you're actually doing, it's not like, okay, Jesus, just stamp my prayer and that's good. What you're actually saying is, Jesus, you're the one who guarantees the, my prayer. Not me, It's you. And we've been given that. And, and so, you know, over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see an example. And again, Jesus is talking to us as disciples. And He tells them, you know, because Jesus, this was in between the moment of Jesus uh, being res- or risen from the dead. And before He ascended into heaven, He's there for 40 days with the disciples and, and, and eating with them and talking with them. And yet He tells them, He says, look... You've been with me all this time, but the Holy Spirit is coming, and and you need to go and wait until He shows up. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit shows up. And in verse 8, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so that you would be witnesses and telling people about me everywhere. See, God gives us power and authority for a purpose, it's not just by chance, it's for a reason. And it's so that we can enforce what God's will is in our life. Why? Because the enemy is very much geared against it. He doesn't want God's purposes, plans coming to pass in our life. And yet we've been given authority, we've been given power. Now, you know, you're like, well, I don't know if I fully understand this. It, it, it's scripture. It's scripture. I mean, it is the Word of God to us. And here's the thing. The closer that you walk to the Lord, the, the, the closer that your relationship with, with Him is, and I'm gonna, some of you will understand this, the greater caliber of power that you get. Like, well, why do I need to grow? And why? Because there's. it's like upgrading your gun. You get a twenty two? it's a gun. Kind of. But I'd rather have a 45. I mean, if somebody's walking in my door, give me a 12-gauge. You sure you want to come in? Like, let let me help you rethink this moment. Right? Well, I don't want to be trying to deal with the enemy just going, oh, well, the closer I walk with the Lord, the more power is actually available to me in my life, available to you in your life. See, there's so many times that I believe that the enemy gets the upper hand simply because we don't recognize it. We just think, well, life's just happening. These circumstances are just just coming, and yet we never stop to say, Lord, is there something else going on? I mean, Ephesians talks about this. It says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not in a physical fight, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this world, because the devil is still the God of this world currently. Now, there's a time frame on that, but as of right now in this moment, but the Bible says that we're no longer under the control of this world, that we've been redeemed, we've been bought back, we've been brought out of the control of this world. It actually goes as far as to call us aliens and foreigners here. That's the way Peter said it. So we have to live differently according to different rules. And yet we've been given this ability. God has given us everything that we need to live a life like this and it's not just verbiage there's actual reality to this in our life but it's going to take us standing up and realizing who we are in Christ that I am the righteousness of God that when uh, you know that when I'm speaking it's like Jesus himself speaking now let me give you an example of this just an illustration because I believe that this is how many Christians live their life. Alright, so imagine you're at your house and you're sitting on the couch. The lights are off. You would like to have the light on. Right? This is how many people live their entire Christian life. Pick up the phone. Call the power company. They're like, hey, I have no power at my house. Power company looks it up and they say, well, according to our computers... It says you have power at your house right now. Yeah, but my lights aren't on. Well, but we say that... It's saying that you have power. Like, are you in the house right now? Well, yeah, I'm sitting on the couch. Lights aren't on. Like, well, could you stand up for me? Can you walk over to the wall? There's this little switch. Can you just hit it for me? Yeah, I can do that. Go over there and flip the switch and the lights come on. Oh, my goodness. Was power not there all along? See, what happens for many believers, they're sitting on the couch praying, asking God to do something for them that he's already given them the ability to do. And they're wondering, why isn't God answering my prayer? God already has the power's been made available see here's a principle from scripture is that God will never do for us what he's already made available and ready for us to do you know I mean, we pray these prayers many times God deal with this, deal with this, deal with this, deal with this and Jesus is saying I've already done everything I can do for you I need you to do something for you See, so many times we we struggle with this because we're praying and praying and praying. God, why aren't you answering? God, why aren't you answering? God, why aren't you answering? You know, the Bible says faith without some action is dead. It's fruitless. It it comes to nothing. And sometimes we pray and God is saying, yeah, but what about what I've instructed you through Scripture to do? Because for some of you this morning, it's time for you to start turning on some light switches. It's time. God, it, God wants to work. God wants to move, but add some action to your faith. Like, well, what if I screw it up? Good, you'll learn. That's the only way you learn, is by doing it. You're like, yeah, but, I, I, you know, what about getting people to pray? That's good, too. But just don't let everybody else do your praying for you. You can live on borrowed faith for a little while, but at some point, you've got to stand up on your own two feet. And just say, okay, I'm going to step into who I'm called and created to be. The Bible says I have the authority and the power of Christ. Okay. Not today, Satan. Not today. I'm done. I'm done playing the game and and fighting through this. So as I'm wrapping up this morning, so how do I do this practically? how, How does this work? What does this look like? James chapter 4, verse 7 says, and it's very simple resist the devil. And what does that mean? It just means to stand up. It doesn't mean to actually do anything per se. Just resist. Just say, nope. Not today. Not right now. Not in this moment. Because it says what? Resist the devil and he will flee. One translation says this way, which is the one I like the most. It says, That when we would stand up against the devil, in other words, understanding who we've been created to be, it says that the enemy would run in stark terror. You don't realize that the devil's actually afraid of you. How many of you realize that? Why? Because when he looks at you, it's like him seeing Jesus again. And the last time he saw Jesus, he was getting drugged through the streets of hell. Like, I don't... Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, go read it. Since he made a show of him publicly, disarming him of all of his power. So every, it's like, well, why does the enemy hate us so much? Because you remind him of Jesus. Everything about us reminds him of Jesus. And so, why does he love to attack us? Because for a moment, it's like he has some satisfaction, like, oh, I'm winning. Until we stand up and say, no, devil, not in my life. I can stand up just like Jesus did and speak into my life, to speak over even other people's life. It'll change the way you pray for other people. Dear God, would you please help this? No, in the name of Jesus. You're a God who works. You're a God who heals. You're a God who restores. You respond to the prayers of the righteous. And I'm going to be bold about my prayers. I'm not going to back off of my prayers. Why? Because I have a God who answers. We serve a God who not only hears. We serve a God who answers. That's a big difference. But my encouragement and my... Really what I want you to catch is what are those areas of your life... That the enemy's been getting the upper hand in. That you've not dealt with. It could be thought processes. It could be ways of thinking. It could be things that are contrary to the Word of God. But that's why we have to... It's what Romans 12 talks about. We have to renew our mind. We've got to think differently. We've got to come in line with what God's Word says. If we're going to experience victory. Here's what I can tell you. With absolute certainty... As long as I stay who I am, I won't necessarily experience the victory that Christ purchased for me. But when I'm willing to change and to grow into all that God has created me to be, and the same is true for you, as I grow, I'm going to experience more and more freedom. I'll remind you, the reason that Jesus came was to destroy the works of the enemy. Not to, like, just push him to the side, to obliterate his ability to totally deal with Him. We just have to enforce that. We do that through the authority that we've been given as children of God. And so you may be here this morning and you're dealing with circumstances and, or situations and we would love the opportunity to pray with you. We'll have people up here that would that are available to pray with you in just a few minutes. There's nothing wrong with that but it may be time for you to take a stand and say, Devil, I've had enough. I've had enough of you in my family. I've had enough of you in this in a, in my relationship with my spouse or my kids. It's enough. The Bible. I did not have time to get into it this morning, but it says it gives us the instruction in Matthew eighteen eighteen. It says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Literally, what it's saying is whatever you authorize on earth, God will authorize in heaven. Many times we have no idea. We, we don't recognize it for what it is and for what God has given us. But it may be time for you to take a stand. And there's nothing wrong with getting somebody else to come into agreement with you. We believe in the power of prayer. But it may be time for you to take a stand and just say, Nope, devil, I'm done. I'm done. You know, and there may be some of you here this morning, and I realize in a room of... This size with this many people that, man, that all sounds great and good. How do I do that? It starts very simply here. You've got to become a child of God. Because without surrendering your heart to Him, there is no righteousness, there is no authority. And if you're not righteous, you can't have the power of God. Because that's what the sons of Sceva were trying to do. They were trying to do what I'm telling you. The problem was they lacked the credentials, they didn't have the badge, and they definitely didn't have the gun. And that's why they got their tail kicked. And there's a lot of people who live their whole life that way. Like, well, I'm a good person and I pray. God will help me. And I'm not saying that he necessarily won't, but what I am telling you is that you're kind of rolling the dice. Maybe God will, maybe God won't. When you're a child of God, the Bible says he watches over his word in our life to bring it about. And that's where it starts. Like, well, how do I get this authority? You simply surrender your life to the Lord. And in that moment, the Bible says that, what happens? That we receive Him as Savior. That we become a new creation in Him. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In that moment, you get authority. See? You're like, well, what about the power part? You get that when you're saved, yes, but also believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's a whole other like kind of calibering up. It's taking a bigger gun. You say, I don't know what that is. I would encourage you to to get in conversation with somebody. Why? Because that that's power. I mean, that's what Acts one eight is actually talking about. It says you will be.